Hey, 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 it's Q&A day, which means if you have Q's, I have A's. Basically, it's a question and answer day where we take all of the things that you're stuck on, the things that you just can't move past, and we give you clarity. And my favorite part of today is that a lot of people are going to benefit from the questions that were sent in, mostly by our All Access Pass holders and a few from our website in a weekend participants. If you want to check out either of those programs, go over to our website and do that, travelmarketingandmedia.com. But for today, we have some great questions and I can't wait to dive in. Hey there, I'm Sandra McLemore and I have trekked both the globe and the travel industry for over 25 years. From my first steps as a travel agent to my exciting career as a travel TV host and contributor on network news and morning shows. And now coaching over 42,000 travel entrepreneurs. Guys, I've seen the highs and the lows of what it means to market and sell travel. Whether you're taking your very first steps in the industry or scaling up to reach amazing new goals, perhaps feeling a little bit adrift and looking for a compass, you, my friend, are in the right place. In each episode, we're going to learn from stories that inspire, strategies that work, and conversations that dive deep into the heart of starting up and scaling a travel business. Fasten your seatbelts, stow away your doubts, and prepare for takeoff. This is your boarding pass to the Travel, Marketing, and Media Podcast. Our first question comes from Kimberly Roberts from Blue Music Travels. And Kimberly's question is about events. She says, Hi, Sandra, in lieu of in person events for garnering interest, interested potential clients as I am in Egypt, what would you suggest as additional resources or additional sources? Live webinars, podcasts, live Facebook events in a group, borrowing other groups from the US, presenting from abroad, i.e., women business, networking groups, etc. Thank you so much for your thoughts. So I would say, um, firstly, let me just summarize for those who don't know Kimberly in our community. She lived in Egypt and she's looking to attract groups of travelers from the US to Egypt. And one of the tactics, of course, that we talk about is uh, in-person events. Now, in-person events, when you don't live near your ideal client, can be challenging. But Kimberly, the first thing to know is this is no different to somebody who might live in a small town in the US or who perhaps even lives in a bigger town, but their ideal client is not there. Uh, My ideal client lives mostly on the East Coast for travel marketing and media, and I live on the West Coast. So every now and then, of course, I will travel. But for the most part, the majority of my client attraction and audience attraction is virtual. So a few things, you actually mentioned them in the answer yourself. A few things would be to focus on virtual events. And then if you did want to travel back to the US, I would say maybe for an annual event, you could do that. Um, I remember attending a conference, an annual conference several years ago before the pandemic. And every year around 600 affluent, successful, powerful women in the corporate world and entrepreneurial world would gather for a conference. Now, this conference cost $4,000 for three days, and they would absolutely be the ideal client for many luxury travels, especially those who focus on culturally immersive experiences or exotic locations and destinations. Now, if you were to get a partnership with an annual conference where your ideal client would be, 
that might be worth traveling back once per year to get together a big annual group of uh, women in business travelers to come back. But that kind of a relationship usually takes some time to grow. Now, I actually, a few years back, traveled to Vancouver with no relationship to the conference. It was a travel conference, travel industry conference. And I flew there, paid for my flights, paid for two nights accommodation, registered to attend the conference. And I had zero relationship with the conference organizers, but I wanted to be in front of the audience of travel advisors that went there. So obviously my first trip was a risk. It was a financial risk. It's not something that everybody would be comfortable taking. I was only a couple of hours flight, so very different than maybe living in Egypt. But I took that opportunity to go and meet in person and ask for five minutes to sit down with the conference organizers. And I went on to book maybe six, eight, ten conferences with that company over the following years. So if you wanted to create a relationship with a conference organizer, what they're going to be looking for to get in front of their audience is what kind of value are you going to add to their event? What kind of value are you going to add to their audience? And how do they know for sure that you're not just going to jump in and want to sell stuff to them? It's like any kind of partnership um, that you, any kind of partnership that you might have. Now, I definitely recommend for those of you who are part of Travel Marketing Revolution, our signature online course, go back and look at the JV Partnerships module. That module really digs deep into how to approach people, how to know what people's motivations are so that you can make sure that you're in alignment with them. You know, some conferences are just going to want great content at zero cost. Some conferences are going to want a profit share of any kind of or a revenue share of any kind of joint venture. And it just really, really depends. Some people use my content at a conference to drive conference attendees now. So I definitely think that doing virtual events is a great way to go. Another great way is to become a guest expert and becoming a guest expert. That's something that we talk about also in Travel Marketing Revolution, um, our signature online course. And we do that in our lead magnet module where we talk about how to promote your lead magnet. The same can be said for um, building relationships that could push you in front of your ideal audience. So things like being a podcast guest, things like being a guest travel writer, um, things like um, being a guest speaker on virtual events. So definitely, I think that starting off virtual because of how far you are from are from the US right now, that's going to be the way to go. But just remember that even when you're building relationships, whether they be in person or virtual, they have to be authentic. They have to be um, beneficial for both parties. I know we recently started a relationship with Travify. You know, Travify is a huge company in the travel industry. We both have the same ideal clients. We both work with travel advisors. That relationship actually was meant to be built in person at a conference, but we never got to meet together uh, at the same place at the same time. And so I literally reached out by LinkedIn to someone. It was a cold email that I'd never spoken to them before to their marketing manager. That led to a couple of um, meetings, two meetings back to back. And now I'm working with the senior management team, the founders of Travify to solidify a really amazing program of education and training for travel advisors, travel advisors over the years. And that was a completely virtual relationship. We still are yet to meet in person. So it absolutely can be done. It's just really about understanding when I went to Travify to talk to them, I knew about their company. I'd researched, I'd actually been following them for 18 months closely looking at their events, looking at their goals. And when we went into the meeting 
even though I was able to say, hey, this is my goal and this is what I want to do, I did ask the question, what are your goals? What would you love to do over the next few years? How can I support you in helping that happen? So I think that it is absolutely, I don't think, I know that it's absolutely doable. It's just about really making sure that those relationships are grown authentically and that there is mutual benefit for both parties. Now, um, Kimberly did follow up with a second question, which I'm totally happy to answer. And she says here, uh, this question is about, it's in the other category. So let's see. She says, hi, Sandra, I'm still working on finalizing our new Mediterranean country focused website for our launch. Websites are never done. They're always a journey. And I'm also ready, um, as one can ever be, of getting a photo shoot ordered to new updated pictures. I noted in your recent trip to Europe, you did a bunch of shoots, both in winter, fall wear and summer wear. Can you please share your thoughts on any types of uh, types of shots to take and types of clothing to wear? Should they be within your brand colors? What types of locations, close-ups versus uh, location percentage? Any props you use, like famous your like your famous luggage shot. My hubby is even learning photography, so he can be my Anthony when we're traveling moving forward. He's even studying your shots at IG feed. Thanks so much for your brilliance as ever. Oh, that's lovely. Well, I have to bust a myth here. Anthony doesn't take my photos. He is an incredible TV producer and director, and he takes my video, but he doesn't take any of my photos. When we travel, I always hire a professional photographer. It's not because Anthony cannot frame a good photo. Like he can't, It's not that he can't hold the camera and know exactly where to point it and how to do all of that. But because he's not a trained photographer, still photographer, I do rely on a still photographer for a couple of reasons. One, no matter how many photo shoots I've done in my life, I'm always still super nervous to get in front of the camera and it's not comfortable for me. So having a trained photographer that is able to really guide me in my poses that I can tell them my insecurities to and they can help me to work around them like I don't like side profile shots I only like front profile um and so um having that photographer with that skill set to be able to help guide me uh another thing also is Anthony doesn't do any post editing he, he doesn't know how to edit photoshop images he could probably do better than most of us but that's not his area of expertise so a skilled photographer is also going to be able to run the photo shoots through what we call presets, which is like a color adjustment, and also do some minor edits where necessary. I never like my photos to be so edited that they don't represent who I am. Um, Despite the fact as a normal human, I go through phases where I hate my weight, I hate my skin, I hate my hair. I do actually want to look like me. I don't want to look like a photoshopped version of me. I never want that feeling where someone meets me in person and says, oh God, she doesn't look anything like that in real life. So I hire photographers. So when you hire a photographer, you want to hire someone that has done a branding shoot for a person. There are lots of different types of photographers. There are commercial photographers, food photographers, there are landscape photographers, and you really want to make sure that you've hired someone who has done a branding shoot for a business before, and most probably for an entrepreneur. I like to um, when it comes to outfits, I like to wear a lot of neutral colors so that they can blend into my brand no matter what. So my current brand colors are navy blue and caramel and a charcoal gray. But before that, many of you knew my colors to be a vibrant yellow, Nat Geo yellow, I call it, and black. But when I did my rebrand, imagine if all of my pictures had have been, oh, sorry, it was a navy, uh, it was a Nat Geo yellow and a navy blue. 
Now, if I had done all of my brand shoots with yellow, none of those images would be available anymore. So I always knew that even if I rebranded, navy would be a good color, that even if I didn't keep the navy, I could work it in. So you'll see in a lot of my photo shoots that I wear black, white, um, beiges, grays, navy blues, because they're what I consider to be kind of neutral colors. And even if I change my branding, all of a sudden I'm actually working on a new brand outside of the travel industry. And funny enough, the colors are a kind of like a dark blush, a navy blue. And when you haven't decided on the third color, I can use any of the images where I'm in neutral colors. So my epic shot that everybody knows is the one in Paris of me carrying a white suitcase and a navy blue jacket. It really wouldn't matter what my color palette was. That picture would always work for me. And I took a recent epic shot, which is me sitting in a cabana in Mexico. And I chose to wear a white shirt and kind of like um, green, uh, like olive green pants, because they'll work no matter what. So I'm not that literal uh, for any of you who are wondering how to dress for your photo shoot that I only wear my brand colors. I just keep it to a lot of white, beige, gray, navy, black, really like olive green kind of colors that will match with any brand and that won't contrast. You want to stay away from your big, big, bold and bright colors and from your brand colors if they're really bright and bold, because it's really difficult to be able to reuse them later in life. If you're comfortable wearing white or beige or gray or black, those are awesome the other thing I find as well, like, and I felt this when we were in Budapest and I didn't do an official shoot, but I did have a couple of pictures taken. I'm so glad that I wore neutral colors because the city is so beautiful that to go out there with a bright green or a bright pink or a red, it's really distracting from the, from the destinations itself. So I definitely recommend going with neutral colors, especially in Egypt. Don't worry about your brand colors. And in terms of props, I always like a good passport shot. I always like a good luggage shot. Um, but think also of the planning shots. Think of what it is that you're selling. Yes, you're selling Egypt as a destination. So I'd want to jump onto Pinterest if I were you and type in the city that you're going to. I always do that before I go somewhere. I go onto Pinterest and I type in Budapest photo shoot and it will bring up a lot of ideas for me on there. And I try not to wear trendy clothing in terms of clothing that won't be on trend in three or four years time. So if mom jeans with baggy legs were the trend this year, I wouldn't ever wear that in a photo shoot. I would go with more of a classic wardrobe, a very minimalist um, wardrobe. Just keep it really basic and simple uh, so that in five years time, it's not going to be out of trend or out of style. And then like, we talked about colors. Now we've talked about style. And then in terms of posing, I would want a combination of me traveling, but me planning travel if I was a travel advisor. One of my favorite shots that I like to use is me sitting at a table in a navy blue shirt, looking at some papers, and I've got variations of that shot. They're planning. I could be planning. I could be reading. I could, could be creating content. So I think that those are really important. Into my next photo shoot, because I've now become um, an official podcaster, I think I do want to have some shots of me with my microphone, whether that's like a proper Yeti, blue Yeti microphone, or maybe even just my headphones that I'm using right now. Um, they're literally Apple, the old school um, earphones with the microphone that I'm holding up to my mouth. And so I don't mind a shot like that. Or maybe I always throw in some computer photos, uh, me typing, me talking on the phone. 
those photos are always going to be helpful. Uh, you in front of a world map with a globe, looking at a map of Egypt, maybe something like that that shows. I think that those are really important. But what you need to think about is what do people want to see in order to trust me and see that I'm an expert? They want to see you at the pyramids. They want to see you in Cairo. They want to see you at an Egyptian restaurant with Egyptian food, or they want to see you in the marketplace or in the street in Cairo. And then they're also going to want to see planning shots as well. So I hope that that helps everybody, regardless of what kind of travel you sell. So now let me move into a couple more questions. I have a question here from Christy McGowan from Happy Place Travel. And her question is about Facebook groups. And she actually has, um, she's written it out here. She says, I'm starting a Facebook group that focuses on couples wanting to get married in all-inclusive resorts. Question number one, how would you ask that anyone who joins not mention or refer to their travel advisor if they're already signed up with another one? And I have a second question I'll submit uh, in a separate form. So I'm going to go ahead and answer Christy's first question. That's really simple. What you want to do is to create a group rule um, that people and all Facebook groups should have a set of rules that people agree to before you'll let them into the group. One of mine is that they don't, that travel advisors don't um, post any links, suppliers, or names of any vendors inside of my group. It's as simple as that. Uh, the focus for you, you would say the same thing. You would say this um, in this group, we don't allow links, suppliers, vendors, um, or recommendations to vendors. We're here to talk about destinations, experiences, and weddings. Um, so it's not a place for people to promote or mention links or other business names. Be as simple as that and be as straightforward as that. I think that when you try to skirt around, not that you are Christy, but when you try to kind of skirt around the um, request that you have, sometimes people don't pick it up as clearly as you put it down. So then her second question is, do you think that these three questions are appropriate for the ones they have to answer before I will admit them to the group? So just to be clear, before I read the three questions that Christy's thinking, when you create a Facebook group, you get to ask up to three questions for people to join the group. Now, this is a really great opportunity for you to, number one, be the gatekeeper of your group and only let in the right people, but also, number two, to find information about them. What I always recommend is that one of those questions is, of course, the email address so that you can add their email address so that you can add them to your email list. And I do that in a way by saying this community, this Facebook group is a community for our email subscribers, as opposed to you got to give me your email address before you come into this group. So let's have a look and see at the three questions that Christy's thinking about. She said, she's thinking of question number one being, we share free tools and tips on planning a flawless all-inclusive resort wedding. Please drop your email below so we can share these free resources with you. We promise that we will never share your email address. Um, that is a good one, but it seems optional. So I would say this Facebook group is a free community for our email subscribers where we share tips on planning a flawless all-inclusive resort wedding. Drop your email below to become part of the community and gain access to these tips. Um, then the next one says, are you a travel advisor? Yes or no? I would be even more specific than that. Are you a travel advisor and or do you book travel? Uh, are you a travel advisor and or wedding planner? And then in brackets, book or organize any elements of destination weddings for couples. Be super clear there. Because someone might be like, 
Christy, I'm not a travel advisor, but I am a destination wedding planner. And you just want to be really careful. And then are you currently working with a travel advisor for your all-inclusive resort wedding? I would want to know why somebody is asking me that question. So is it okay if the answer is yes? So you might just want to clarify that. Or do you want only people who say no? So um, I would say currently working with a travel advisor for your all-inclusive resort wedding. And then in brackets, it might be uh, totally okay either way. Okay, so yes or no. Um, I would say that those are three really good questions to have. The other question that you might want to consider instead of are you working with a travel advisor, you might want to consider their destinations that you would love to see featured in this group or that you would like to learn more about in this group. I think that that's going to tell you a lot too because you suddenly got, you know, 60% of people talking about wanting to learn about Mexico or 50% of people wanting to learn about Italy that's going to help you to drive the type of content. Or it could be instead of just destinations, what would you, what kind of content would you most love to see in this group, uh, in this community, see us uh, provide in this community? And then in brackets, put any specific destinations, uh, areas of planning, budgeting, uh, organizing, drop them below. And let that be a very much a freestyle place where they can write that content. I hope that that helps Christy and anyone who is starting a Facebook group. All right, let's see. Do I have time for more questions? I do. This is from Nicole Lawrence, Travel with Great Company. And her question is about marketing funnels planning. And it says, hey, Sandra, I have an opportunity to be the only travel advisor in a publication circulated through four local country clubs. The publication includes schedules, articles, and local businesses. A half-page ad is $600 annually, and they refresh the publication quarterly. The company's website is, and then she gave it to me, uh, the website for it. She says, I don't have a budget for this type of expense, but I want to be in front of country club members. I'm yet to attend a country club and I'm unsure if such a publication would be valued or considered junk. Please share your thoughts and insight into this type of opportunity. Thanks so much. I have an excellent way for you, Nicole, to know if this is a good opportunity for you. My suggestion would be to get a previous edition of the magazine, maybe two or three previous editions, and to open them up, whether if they're digital, that makes it even easier. Um, and if not, if you've got to kind of order a magazine or even ask them, say, hey, do you mind if I, would you mind sending me a magazine so that I can decide if this is um, a good investment for me? If I'm going to invest, I'd like this to be a long-term relationship that I'm with you for several years, um, but I'd love to get an understanding of what the magazine looks like. Now, once you've got the magazine, Nicole, and this is for anyone who is thinking about putting an, uh, money, putting an investment into advertising. Once you've got the magazine, here is my pro tip for you. This is genius. So listen to this. Go through and look for other business owners. They could be dentists, restaurants, professional services, and ask them. I definitely think some of them that you ask should be professional services. Phone them. Ask them uh, to and say, tell them the truth and say, hey, I'm Nicole. I'm from Travel with Great Company. I got approached by this magazine, which I know that you have also um, been featured in. And I wanted to get some thoughts on whether or not you feel like it was a good investment for your business. From one business owner to another, I, th I was hoping that you wouldn't mind sharing your experience before I invest my money. I know as business owners, you obviously can't go out and spend on everything. So I'm really curious to know did you love investing in it? Did you see results from it? Is it something that you would recommend to a friend of yours who was a business owner? Here's that 
amazing question. Did you see results? Did you enjoy your time with them? Would you do it again? And then most importantly, would you recommend it to any of your friends who are business owners that they should look into this? Because if I've advertised before and I got maybe one booking, I might say to myself, yeah, it's pretty good. But ask me if I'd recommend it to a friend. Because then straight away comes to mind my friends who are who are business owners and I know that some of them are on a really tight budget. Would I recommend it to a friend? Now I'm going to ask you with great truth and bearing in mind other people's budgets and other people's goals. So I think that that's definitely um, a great way for you to be able to know if something is good or not. Think about agendas. The people who are selling you ad space, their agenda is different to yours. Their goal is different to yours. Their goal is to sell as many ads as possible. Uh, People who write in the magazine or own the magazine, their goal is to put out a great magazine. None of those people have the same goal as you, which is getting a return on investment from your ad. So the only people that you should speak to about that and to get really good information from are people who are in your situation or were in your situation. Uh, How long have you been advertising for? Do you pay for your advertisements? Um, Is it something that you would continue to do? How do you measure if this is a good opportunity for you? I think that's a really good question as well, because some people might be like, oh, I just feel like we're always really busy not a great metric, feeling like you're always busy. Unless, of course, they can say, listen, our restaurant for breakfast on Sundays was never busy. It was never full. And then all of a sudden we started doing this and all of a sudden it was full and we weren't doing any other tactics at all. Then yeah, okay, maybe that's a good metric that you're always busy. But I think Nicole and for anyone else who's considering advertising in school newsletters, community magazines, newspapers, television, radio, those kinds of things, you always want to reference check it. It is... Imagine like in the dating world, if you could do this, if you could say to someone, did you date this person? What are they, would you recommend it? Would you date them again? Why wouldn't you? Would you let any of your friends date this person? Listen, <laughs> that's all you get all the tea. And I think then you can make yourself a good assessment. Now, if you don't happen to get good intel from that, or if it doesn't really help you, which I'd be surprised if it didn't, or if it was just a little too vague, you have to ask yourself, if I did not get anything from this, would I be okay losing that $600? I know it's a risk. How would I feel? There you go. All of today's cues with A's. So if you have a question that you would love to ask me, maybe it's been sitting on your mind for a while. Maybe maybe you don't even recognize it's a question. I'm going to put it to you like this. Not if you have a question more are you stuck? If you are stuck on something and you just can't seem to push through, maybe it's that you don't know what the answer is, or maybe it's that you're trying to do something, but it just feels like Groundhog Day and it's never getting better and it's never moving forward. If you have a question or you're stuck on something and you're an All Access Pass member, send your question in to me. I would love to answer it on an upcoming episode of the podcast. Until next episode, bye for now.